the law school of america criminal procedure post-sentencing miscarriage of justice a miscarriage of justice also known as a wrongful conviction occurs when a person is convicted and punished for a crime that he or she did not actually commit it can occur in both criminal and civil proceedings which includes removal proceedings the main contributing factors are eyewitness misidentification faulty forensic analysis false confessions by vulnerable suspects perjury and lies told by witnesses misconduct by police prosecutors or judges and inadequate defense strategies put forward by the defendant's legal team the innocence project keeps statistics on cases where convicted defendants have subsequently been exonerated usually by advances in the science of dna in many instances wrongful convictions have not been overturned for several decades sometimes after the innocent person has been executed released from custody or has died the true prevalence of miscarriages of justice is hard to measure because many wrongful convictions are never overturned. The term is not to be confused with errors of impunity which applies to cases where a guilty person goes free. Prevalence. There are two main methods for estimating the prevalence of wrongful convictions. Exoneration. The first is the number of exonerations where the guilty verdict has been vacated or annulled by a judge or higher court after new evidence has been brought forward proving the guilty person is, in fact, innocent. Since 1989, the Innocence Project has helped overturn 375 convictions of American prisoners with updated DNA evidence. However, DNA testing occurs in only 5 to 10 percent of all criminal cases, and exonerations achieved by the Innocence Project are limited to murder and rape cases. This raises the possibility that there may be many more wrongful convictions for which there is no evidence available to exonerate the defendant. Studies cited by the Innocence Project estimate that between 2.3% and 5% of all prisoners in the U.S. are innocent. However, a more recent study looking at convictions in the state of Virginia during the 1970s and 1980s and matching them to later DNA analysis estimates a rate of wrongful conviction at 11.6%. A 2014 study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences made a conservative estimate that 4.1% of inmates awaiting execution on death row in the United States are innocent, and that at least 340 innocent people may have been executed since 1973. Self-report. The second method for estimating wrongful convictions involves self-report. Researchers ask prisoners whether they have ever confessed to a crime which they did not commit. Self-report allows examination of any and all crimes where wrongful conviction may have occurred, not just murder and rape cases where DNA is available. Two Icelandic studies based on self-report conducted 10 years apart found the rates of false confession to be 12.2% and 24.4% respectively. These figures provide a proxy for miscarriages of justice because false confessions are highly likely to lead to wrongful convictions. A more recent Scottish study found the rate of self-reported false confessions among a group of inmates in one prison was 33.4%. Another study estimated that up to 10,000 people may be wrongfully convicted of serious crimes in the United States each year. According to Professor Boaz Sangiro of the College of Law and Business in Ramat Gan, most wrongful convictions in Israel are for crimes less serious than major felonies such as rape and murder, as judicial systems are less careful in dealing with those cases. Contributing factors. Academics believe that six main factors contribute to miscarriages of justice. These include eyewitness misidentification, faulty forensic analysis, false confessions by vulnerable suspects, perjury and lies told by witnesses, misconduct by police, prosecutors or judges and inadequate defense strategies put forward by the defendant's legal team. Unreliability of eyewitness testimony. 
Eyewitness identifications are notoriously unreliable contributing to 70% of wrongful convictions. Starting in the 1970s, psychologists studying memory formation and retention found that the way police lineups are conducted can alter an eyewitness's memory of the suspect and this often leads to misidentification. Witnesses also have considerable difficulty making accurate identifications with suspects from different ethnic groups such that the rate of mistaken identification is significantly higher than most people tend to believe. Elizabeth Loftus, a leading researcher in the field, says memory is so unreliable the end result can be a highly confident witness testifying in a persuasive manner at trial about a detail that is completely false. Forensic Mistakes Contamination Wrongful convictions can also occur when items which become evidence at crime scenes become contaminated in the process of packaging, collection and transportation to a secured facility or laboratory. Contamination can be introduced unintentionally by material that was not present when the crime was committed by anyone entering the crime scene after the event, by uninvolved witnesses who may become suspects, and by emergency responders, firefighters, police officers and crime scene investigators themselves. If proper protocols are not followed, evidence can also be contaminated when it is being analyzed or stored. A miscarriage of justice can occur when procedures to prevent contamination are not carried out carefully and accurately. Faulty analysis. The Innocence Project says 44% of wrongful convictions are the result of faulty forensic analysis. This occurs when forensic experts inadvertently or deliberately misrepresent the significance, validity, or reliability of scientific evidence. Over the years, misrepresentations have been made in the arenas of serological analysis, microscopic hair comparison, and the analysis of bite marks, shoe prints, soil, fiber, and fingerprints. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Overconfident experts. Overly confident testimony by expert witnesses can also lead to miscarriages of justice. The credibility of expert witnesses depends on numerous factors, in particular, their credentials, personal likability and self-confidence which all impact on how believable they are. The confidence with which experts present their evidence has also been noted to influence jurors, who tend to assume that a witness who is anxious or nervous is lying. The manner in which experts testify may have a greater impact on judges and lawyers who prefer experts who provide clear, unequivocal conclusions. The credentials and reputation of the expert also have a significant impact on juries. For example, Charles Smith was head of the Ontario Pediatric Forensic Pathology Unit from 1982 and the most highly regarded specialist in his field. His testimony led to the convictions of 13 women whose children died in unexplained circumstance before it came to light that he had a thing against people who hurt children, and was on a crusade and acted more like a prosecutor than a pathologist. An inquiry into his conduct concluded in October 2008 that Smith actively misled his superiors, made false and misleading statements in court and exaggerated his expertise in trials. False Confessions The possibility that innocent people would admit to a crime they did not commit seems unlikely, and yet this occurs so often. The Innocence Project found false confessions contribute to approximately 25% of wrongful convictions in murder and rape cases. Certain suspects are more vulnerable to making a false confession under police pressure. This includes individuals who are intellectually impaired, and those who suffer from mental illness. Saul Kassin, a leading expert on false confessions, says that young people are also particularly vulnerable to confessing, especially when stressed, tired, or traumatized. The incidence of false confessions is exacerbated by the use of harsh interrogation techniques such as the Reed technique. As of 2014, 
This technique was still popular with police interrogators even though the strategy produces less information from suspects, provides fewer true confessions and more false confessions than less confrontational interviewing techniques. Coercive interrogation techniques Police often use coercive manipulation techniques when conducting interrogations in hopes of obtaining a confession. In the United States, one of these is known as the Reed Technique after the officer who developed it, John Reed. Introduced in the 1940s and 50s, the strategy relies on deception, coercion and aggressive confrontation to secure confessions. It became the leading interrogation method used by law enforcement throughout the United States and has led to countless confessions by innocent people. Perjury and false accusations. Witnesses in police investigations may lie for a variety of reasons including, personal ill will towards the defendant, the desire to be paid, the desire to get a deal from prosecutors or police, or an effort to deflect attention from a person's own involvement in a crime. An innocent person is more likely to be convicted when one or more witnesses have an incentive to testify, and those incentives are not disclosed to the jury. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, 57% of cases where the convicted person was eventually exonerated involves perjury or false accusations. Prosecutorial misconduct. This occurs in numerous ways including the concealment or destruction of exculpatory evidence, the failure to disclose exculpatory evidence to the defense, the failure to reveal that certain witnesses have been paid to testify, and the planting of incriminating evidence. An Innocence Project study found that 25% of DNA exonerations involved testimony that was known to be false by the police and another 11% involved the undisclosed use of coerced witness testimony. In other words, over one-third of these wrongful convictions involved prosecutorial misconduct. Role of Bias and Cognitive Distortions Confirmation bias is a psychological phenomenon whereby people tend to seek and interpret information in ways that support existing beliefs. Two mechanisms come into play, selectively searching for supporting information and a biased interpretation of whatever information is available. In police investigations, this comes into play when detectives identify a suspect early in an investigation, come to believe he or she is guilty, and then ignore or downplay other evidence that points to someone else or doesn't fit their hypothesis about what occurred. A number of factors contribute to this process. First, police officers often have heavy workloads and, in high-profile cases, often come under considerable pressure to catch the perpetrator as soon as possible. This may encourage a rush to judgment, in a process described by psychologists as involving a high need for cognitive closure, NFC, the desire for a clear-cut solution which avoids confusion and ambiguity. Second, after spending considerable time and resources trying to build the case against a particular suspect, it becomes difficult for police to admit they may be going down the wrong track. The embarrassment and loss of prestige that follows from admitting erroneous decisions may motivate investigators to continue down a chosen path and disregard evidence that points in a different direction. Third, criminal investigations are generally theory-driven activities. Investigators tend to evaluate evidence based on their preliminary theories or hypotheses about how, and by whom, a crime was committed. Because of the pressures described above, such hypotheses are sometimes based on the expectations and preconceptions of the investigators rather than on solid facts. A study in the Journal of Investigative Psychology and Offender Profiling found that criminal investigations which aim at generating evidence confirming an ill-founded hypothesis pose serious threats both to the security of innocent citizens and to the effectiveness of the law enforcement system. The Law School of America the content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License.
the text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America